Welcome to the Apartment Investor Show, where we help you get smart and invest smarter with multifamily real estate. I'm your host, JC Castillo, founder and managing principal of the Multifamily Property Group. And joining me as always is my good buddy, my co-host, Mr. Paul Peebles, National Underwriter for Old Capital Lending. Paulie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, JC. Uh, guess who's with me today? Well, he looks pretty familiar. He might be the missing link to your Old Capital podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he is. That's... Uh the governor, the mayor of Beckerville, USA, Mr. Michael Becker. Hello. Hey, appreciate you guys having me on. Hey, Mike. Thanks for joining us, man. We, we do appreciate it. Well, you know, since we've got, Polly, since we've got Mike on the line today, we figured what we do is we talk about the top ways not to sink your multifamily ship when it comes to lending. And, uh, and really, there's no better expert out there than, I think, Mr. Becker here who spent a very long amount of time uh, doing multifamily lending. Polly, why don't I let you give a little bit more background on, on Mr. Becker here? So Michael has been in the multifamily real estate world for a long period of time. Prior to being an owner of real estate, he was a loaner of money. And so he used to loan a tremendous amount, billions of dollars for a large regional, national, large, large all of them, all of them <laughs> bank uh, here uh, in Texas. He led his, led his division uh, multiple years in a row uh, doing uh, commercial real estate lending. So he go, comes from a background of kind of knowing what a banking person should know, like an underwriter or approval person. And then when he transitions with his group and his partner over at SPI, they became owners of real estate. So Michael and his partner, Sean, they own, have purchased over 7,000 apartment units. So he is a thought leader in multifamily ownership, in multifamily in Texas and throughout the nation. You may have seen him on stage a lot of different places, but he's the guy that you want to listen and learn from. So he is uh, Michael Becker. Hey, a lot to live up to. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. <laughs> we, we appreciate it, Michael. And I think let's jump right into it, right? I mean, I think, look, there's a lot of viewers out there that are listening to the show or watching the show, and maybe they're just getting into real estate. Uh, maybe they're just getting into multifamily. And, you know, lending is a big part of the stack because let's face it, that's, you're talking, you know, 65 to 80% of the capital stack on a deal is coming from the lender. So today, I think what we'd really like to talk about and what we'd like to hear your expert opinion on is we'd like to talk about some actionable things that the viewers out there can do to make sure that they don't sink their ship when it comes to getting these big uh, multifamily loans uh, with these lenders. So why don't we, why don't we let you talk about it? Walk us through some sort of some actionable steps that you, from your experience, know that people should avoid doing to make sure that they, they steer clear and stay in the good graces of these lenders? I mean, you know, I think there's a, a couple of ways you can talk about it. So I'll talk a little less, I think you guys have covered it before, about some of the things you need to do as you're acquiring the loan, and we'll spend a little more time on uh, well, now, you, now the money's out the door, you know, how do you interact and communicate with your, with your lender? Because that's one of the things Unfortunately, I had to do for a long period of time was be uh, not only originate loans, but manage uh, the portfolio that we originated. So have a pretty good uh, concept of both sides of, uh, of the desk and these larger uh, national lenders and the agency lenders, they tend to be separated in their, their department. So it's very uh, rare to, I think, have both, both uh, levels of experience on both sides of it. Um, but first, you know, kind of when you're, when you're up and running um, and you're trying to get a loan, I mean, I think really, you know, you're, your lenders, your friend, they're going to give you a, it's a pretty uh, formulaic uh, process from the standpoint of what the data is that you need to provide. 
So, you know, your lender typically going to give you a checklist. So, you know, you're going to need to get, make sure you provide them a, a T12 or trailing 12 uh, financial statements. So the last 12 months of operations broken down monthly because the lenders are really not only looking at what the last 12 months of operations are, but kind of the trends of your revenue and your expenses and make sure it's kind of going in the right way or if there's some de de declination in the trends, you know, what's what's kind of behind those numbers and the, and the trend and is that sustainable going forward? Um, so it's kind of the first thing you make sure you get together. Another thing to pay attention to really is kind of, you know, making sure you have a pretty good detailed operating budget going forward at least 12 months. So preparing something you, you, yourself as well as uh, with your management company kind of collaborating together to get a pretty detailed budget as you're getting into the lending process. That is certainly going to be pretty critical. Um, a couple other things on the front end that you need to make sure you pay attention to is getting actual insurance quotes. Um, so, you know, when you when you put your budget together, you can just put like swag number in something that you kind of use as like a rule of thumb. Look back at maybe other, if you have multiple owners, uh, multiple properties, look at other similar assets and what they would, um, what they would, uh, you, you pay on those type of assets, maybe use that as your initial plug. But once you get into it, you want to make sure you get lost runs from the, uh, the seller. So any sort of um, going back five years, any sort of actual losses that have occurred on the property, that's what lost runs are. So you kind of see the date of the claim, the nature of the claim, and the amount of the claim paid out. Um, and then uh, give those to your insurance broker, make sure you have that put together so they can incorporate an actual quote for you. And then, uh, and then that's either going to be higher or lower, most likely than what you budgeted for. And then that helps in with the lender when they're going and doing their underwriting and sizing of the deal. And then maybe there would increase proceeds or decrease loan proceeds uh, accordingly. And then, um, you know, th those are kind of the, the most main things that I, I can just think of kind of off the cuff as we're going in, trying to size the deal. You know, usually when your lender's asking for something, it's not usually a good idea to push back on them because they, they need it. They're not just asking because they want it. They, they typically have a purpose and a, and a need that then helps craft the, the underwriting memo or the credit memo. They're going to go into the loan committee or to the loan approver and go actually get it um, approved by the credit officer. So these are some things that, you know, working with a competent mortgage broker like like Paul um, or one of the guys at Old Capital, they have a lot of experience on you know, thousands and thousands of loans. So they kind of help you put this together and size it up and maybe even help you um, if you're unsure about um, how to how to create one of these documents or, you know, what what the, what the heck the lender's actually asking for in English. They, they can come translate that for you and, and put it together. One of the things I want to ask, I mean, Mike, you worked for a large national bank uh, and as a loan officer. Yeah. Were you the decision maker? So when someone would bring all your paperwork in and they would give it to you, were you the person who made the decision? No. So they, they have uh, clear lines of separation between loan originators and credit approvers. So you can't go in and originate a loan and go and approve it yourself because your compensation is typically as a loan officer um, tied to loan production or growing your portfolio or some combination of those two things. So they want to make sure they separate those functions. So your loan originator is kind of like your, your gate, gatekeeper into the bank. They're the ones that's kind of your advocate, you know, they're the ones that are in there helping you uh, present the best story in the best light. So then they can then increase the probability of approval with the, with the, the loan committee or with the uh, credit approver, depending on how the bank is set up. So the loan gets approved, you operate the property. Yeah. What are some of the things that can sink your boat, whether it is innocently or you're deliberately doing bad boy yeah. things. So with any loan, there's going to be a loan agreement. And then within that loan agreement, there's going to be like covenants, you know, and, and reporting requirements typically. So those are, those are really kind of what governs what you can and you can't do uh, at your property or with your financials. 
so some common covenants and, and uh, loan uh, requirements that you need to make sure you pay attention to um, is, you know, is there, is there a minimum debt service coverage ratio going forward? Um, you know, so if you break a certain debt coverage ratio going forward, is that a, is that a, been a default triggers, triggers a default where the bank could maybe potentially accelerate your loan. That's not very common, like within the Fannie Freddie type product, but you know, that might be something if you have a bank loan to kind of pay attention to. Um, the worst, most egregious one is what's called either insecurity clause or nervousness clause, where for any reason at any time, a lender can then trigger, um, if they just feel nervous about your loan, they could trigger um, and accelerate the maturity and call you in default and make you want to pay it off. So those are those are even less common, but you know, those were certainly in some of the can loan documents we had at Wells Fargo when I worked there. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that was something we could always strike through, but just make sure you pay attention, your lawyers point all that out to you. And then, uh, you know, there's a lot of these things have, you know, maybe a liquidity maintenance covenant where on an annual basis, you've got to prove to the bank that you have a certain, me- uh, certain level of liquidity, 100,000, 500,000, either in cash or marketable securities, a bond, something like that, that on an annual basis, you provide those statements. And if you don't, then that's the trigger where you can uh, you can be in default. And then really uh, on an ongoing basis, most of these lenders want you to report uh, at least on a quarterly basis, uh, rent roll, and most likely a, a year-to-date um, income statement as well. And then on an annual statement, a complete financial statement with a balance sheet, uh, rent roll, et cetera. Uh, on a, on an annual basis, and um, some of the some of the banks also want to have tax returns also um, sent in on top of that. And then if the loan has a guarantee or there is a key principal that signs the the Bavoy carve out, either you have to provide an updated personal financial statement, or there might be some sort of like ongoing form that they want you to sign off and attest that you know you're not in bankruptcy or default on any of the loans, think things along that that line. And if you don't um, follow these things and you don't report on a timely basis and you hide the information from your lender, those are things that, that start getting them nervous and start asking a bunch of questions and start taking more aggressive actions if uh, you just simply go dark on them. Yeah, and we've seen that before. So uh, don't be a bad boy with some of these uh, clauses. So let's talk about some of the things that you, again, have seen that could sink your boat. Yeah, you know, I think a couple couple things come to mind. You know, um, when you have a uh, multifamily property, you know, these these municipalities, you you have you know certain zoning, and you you have a CO, and you you're lawfully able to operate this as an apartment complex for a certain number of units. So if you have like a storage building or something, and you want to go in and update the uh, and add a couple units, you don't go through the proper channels, both with the city to make sure it's properly permitted, inspected, and you know up to code. And then two, with your lender, either if you want to add units or if you want to say, take a couple small efficiencies and make it like a two bed unit or something and decrease the number of units. Either way, that could potentially trigger or most likely will trigger a event of default within your, your loan documents. So making sure that you, you, know, you operate the thing lawfully with the way you're licensed with the city. Um, local municipalities, as well as uh, you don't don't modify the collateral without prior written consent from your lender. Yeah, so what probably would happen is that the money's out the door with those people, but they can change it from being a non-recourse loan to a recourse loan. Yeah. So another thing to be observant on is that if you are thinking about changing from 100 units to 102, 103 units, uh, make sure you check out with your lender, number one. Two and two with the city because your lender is going to require some additional forms to be filled out that uh, maybe changes the original loan terms of the deal because they added securitized with 100 doors, not 102, 103. 
So it could cost you significant cash up front. Yeah. Give, give me another example where you could sink your boat. Yeah, you know, uh, a good example that comes to mind was we, uh, a client that Paul had several years ago had a large hail claim uh, on a property uh, here in the Dallas area and didn't didn't took the insurance claim, never told the lender about it, right? So that, yeah. well, that was uh, that turned out to be a pretty big problem. That was and, a problem. And ultimately ended up taking the loan from non-recourse to recourse, not only for himself, I think he had probably two, three, four other um, key principles alongside him that then all of a sudden went from having, you know, what they thought was a no, no risk or low risk loan, all of a sudden became pretty risky because the, the bad boy carve outs were triggered and the guaranteed was, uh, was sprung in on them. Um, so that, that was certainly a challenge and ultimately ended up getting kicked out of the deal. And I think uh, what they called a check. So that's when Fannie Mae puts you on the the, the bad list, list, the bad boy list. It's and then the list you, you don't want to be on. Yeah, it's called you don't, you don't want You don't want to get on the A-check list, and then you're unable to then borrow money and do future deals. One of the things right now that we're, what we're seeing, too, on the lending side is uh, is rehab problems. Yeah. And talk a little bit about, about rehab. Yeah, when you're buying these properties, uh, the lender will go through and do um, their own property condition report or PCA, property condition assessment report. Well, they go through and sample some units, walk through the major components, and they'll, they'll schedule. Uh, with that, they put out the replacement reserve schedule. So, you know, for the next 10 years, you need escrow 200 or $300 a unit a year and, uh, and replace reserve escrows, as well as identify any sort of immediate items like uh, life and safety stuff, like you don't have proper fire, um, fire, fire detection equipment or our fire extinguishers or trip hazards or just, you know, potholes in your parking lot or road rot needs a paint job, you know, whatever it is. And they'll make you ask for some money up front to, to correct those items. And then they'll give you a timeline within that you're supposed to correct those items. So you have six months or 12 months or 90 days, depending on the severity of the uh, life and safety uh, aspect of it. So if you, uh, you have that as well as if you're doing these, um, Fannie Mae loan in particular, or a bank loan, and you're doing a reposition of an asset, you're going to spend some CapEx dollars, uh, they'll, they'll tend to escrow those and give you a, a certain time period where you're allowed to get it done per your loan documents. So if you have a year to get this stuff done, and you decide to buy the property, you don't spend any the money, it's sitting in escrow, and then you're here two, three years later, and you haven't done anything, that's going to cause you problems with the lender because they also you know, want you to submit draws to prove that you're going to make progress towards achieving those goals as well as they'll send out actual inspectors um, to verify that. And then on an annual basis, they tend to come do a physical inspection of your, of your asset and identify any new additional stuff that, that you may need to address that, uh, that popped up on the property. So these are things that start getting you in trouble, um, you know, and then, and then that's going to also be an event of default within your loan or spring in the, the bad boy recourse uh, from non-recourse to recourse on the, uh, the KPs. And, and the some of the things that we've seen recently too, that have, that's been a problem is that a lot of people signed as KPs on these transactions, but kind of get their Fannie Mae country club card to do a deal down the road. So they signed on maybe somebody else's deal just to be a KP, not the managing member, but just a, a KP. They put their net worth, their balance sheet. Maybe they do it for a fee too. They did it for a fee. They may have done it for a fee, but with the thinking that maybe they're, they were going to do their own deal down the road. So what had happened is that maybe the deal they signed on originally, uh, that rehab wasn't done or that deal is not performing. And now they want to try to do their own deal down the road. Well, Fannie Mae is going to uncover that you didn't do all the rehab up front or that deal is not performing when you don't go do your own deal. So then you go on the bad boy list and then you may not get a chance to do, do your own deal. 
So make sure that when you do sign your name to these deals, <laughs> make sure that you know that that property is going to be a performing if you want to bridge, bridge that, so to speak, yeah. into doing your own deal. Yeah, and there's risk in all these deals. None of this stuff is risk-free. So if you're thinking signing on a recourse loan is not a big deal, I can make a little small payday. It might have further ramifications and kind of take you out of the business altogether if uh, you choose the wrong sponsor or the wrong deal to do it on. Yeah. So those are just some of the things that I think are important for people to kind of understand, at least right now, but where, where the market is for, for Fannie Mae. Mike, tell us a little bit about where you're seeing Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, we're coming up against the uh, the end of the year coming yeah. up fairly soon. Uh, any worries, any nervousness on, on that? Yeah, maybe just kind of give, uh, we're in the market always, you know, constantly uh, both in the, the capital markets, debt equity, as well as uh, within the apartment uh, investment sales market, trying to buy and sell these deals. So we're constantly, uh, you know, the one thing that's always uh, sure about this business is it's constantly changing and there's always update. So uh, we're kind of late August 2019 as we record this. So kind of this is the most current kind of state of the market, in particular with capital markets on the, on the debt side. Um, you know, for, for many, many years, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac have kind of been, you know, the, the bellwether lenders. They've been loaning, you know, well over half of the money in the multifamily um, debt space has come up from one of the two agencies. Yep. Um, and they, they, you know, first ever since the, the recession, you know, a decade or so ago, they've been owned and then receivership by the federal government and the regulators FHFA. And uh, recently FHFA has had a new um, head come in the cert. And uh, for the last several years, they've had um, a cap on the maximum amount of uh, business they can loan. Uh, for 2019, it was 35 billion each. So they can loan up to 35 billion. But there was an exception to the cap where they do what they call uncapped business. Uh, with without any sort of limitation and you had to either fit into an affordable uh, product because one of their missions is really to provide safe affordable housing so if you had a certain level of affordability uh, which was a test on the uh, the area median income and your property and your rents etc that would fall uh, outside the cap or, or if the property was um, eligible and you agreed to do some green rewards uh, program and, and do some uh, energy improvements by saving 15% both in water and and energy um, by uh, by doing some improvements to your property, uh, that also falls outside the cap. So what had happened in 2018, a lot of the business was uncapped by either being affordable or green, and uh, they didn't come close to the actual cap because of the stuff that was on the, on the cap business. So rolling into 2019, they weren't, uh, I think, really paying attention um, to be to be kind of editorialized what I think has happened here. And uh, the first three to four months of the year, they were just throwing everything and giving big pricing waivers and putting it where it was hitting the cap. They weren't making people do green. Because we're looking and, and you would look at it both ways. It's like, well, I could get basically the same price by doing, uh, by not having to force me to spend hundred or $200,000 to do all these energy improvements in my property to get the same pricing break. Um, so I'll just do this versus spending this extra money. Right. Because at the end of the day, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense to most people. So you, why spend the money if you're not gonna get an economic return? Uh, where previously in 2018, you would get a, you know, maybe a 30 to 40 basis point uh, price break to do the green. So they just started filling their cap up so early and it seemed about like April or so. I kind of woke up and kind of the OS moment thinking like, okay, we're going to, we're going to hit our cap by September at this pace. We need to 
start pausing, let's start forcing stuff into the green. Um, so then uh, from that moment forward, there's no pricing waivers unless it went green. And that kind of ran on until, you know, what, probably about June or maybe sure. even early July, about the 4th of July. Then uh, then FHFA has this new regulator come in and starts like really, really uh, throttling back their production. And uh, they really kind of don't want them to do 70 billion when they have a $35 billion cap by just forcing a bunch of the stuff into the into the green. So they're just right now, all the spreads have widened. Um, there's no pricing breaks. There's no... Um, you know, waivers to the to the price right now. So everything in the last call it 60 days, 90 days really has gapped up about 100 basis points on the spread. So meaning what would have been about a 1.5 spread now is about a 2.5 spread in the last 90 days. So that's uh, uh, coincided with the treasury rates plummeting. So, you know, a lot of this, uh, the, the, the benefit, the savings that you would get by having a lower 10-year treasury rate, which is where the index, a lot of these stuffs are, are, are priced, these loans are priced off of, has been all eaten up with, with increased spreads. So instead of, you know, we would have similar spreads that we had 90 days ago, we paid about 3%. And it seems like Fannie's trying to put about a 4% floor, give or take, in the market. Yeah, instead of just tapping the brake, they're slamming on the brakes right now. So just know when you're you're putting together these transactions, understand that your pricing, your interest rates may be a little bit higher than what you thought they were going to be. 90 days ago, 90 right? Days ago. Still pretty attractive, still historic from historical standards, JC, still, you know, kind of that 4% range, but what would have been with the spreads from 90 days ago, three, they're not letting the market kind of go to the low threes on these 10 year fixed rate money, which is sad for guys like you and me, for sure. So I would probably imagine sometime early part of next year, it should be fine. But right now going into the end of the year, it's gonna be a little bit little bit challenging. Yeah, so there's two, two things to kind of elaborate a little bit on, on kind of the ramifications I'm seeing from, from that set of facts I just mentioned. Uh, one, just it's more and more important now to have a competent mortgage professional on your team. Because, you know, the last five years, almost a blind, drunk monkey could just go to Fannie and Freddie and do one of the two, put them against each other, and they're gonna win 90% of the races. Uh, well, right now, that is not the case, right? So you need to make sure you have a Rolodex of, of banks um, that have these uh, banks products that the spreads are a lot tighter, uh, leverage is still a little bit better. And then, and then two, you know, life companies or CMBS type products as well are now back and actually viable where the agency were just taking, taking all the business. Those are now becoming more attractive. So uh, you need to be more uh, strategic and specific and you need to shop a little bit more on what is the right execution to fit my set of facts and what I'm trying to accomplish at the property. Uh, Paul, anything to add? Nothing, JC. Well, what kind of terms are you seeing out there, uh, Mike, for CMBS slash uh, life insurance type? So, uh, so we, we just quoted a deal the other day. Um, and you know what? We got a, a Freddie quote, I think was uh, for seven year term uh, floating was about a, a 2.56 spread over 2.55, 5, 2.6% spread over 30-day LIBOR, where go back 90 days, we, we got a quote, we closed on a loan back in July, a 1.56 spread over 30-day LIBOR, so it gapped up 100 bips. Uh, so we started shopping, and you know we have a little bit of size and a little bit of scale and have uh, you know bigger loans, a little nicer asset, but we just got a quote from a life company uh, seven-year full-term IO at 190 over 38 LIBOR. So it's, you know, 70 basis points better than the Freddie alternative, you know, and you're, you're borrowing, you know, 20 plus million dollars of stuff. I mean, you know, it adds up on a million dollars. It really adds up when you start 
know, scale in the, uh, the size of the deals. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and increased um, debt or interest expense, you know. So that's kind of what I'm seeing right there. Um, you know, before you have any questions, absolutely. The other, the other thing I'm kind of seeing what's impacting the market. If you don't have any more questions on this, I can go to that. Yeah, yeah, please, please do. Yeah, you know, the, the other thing, uh, which I've uh, lived through firsthand here, unfortunately, on the, the bad side of it, um, is if you were a smart guy like me a few years ago, you put, you know, 10 or 12 year fixed rate money when the when you're thinking, hey, the rates are kind of on the high fours, they're never going to be lower than they are right now. Let's go ahead and lock this <laughs> thing in and Oh, this is getting so great. We're going from years IO and it's never going to be better than that. Uh, and then now you fast forward today and everyone's getting, you know, five to six years of IO on a, on a regular basis. And the rates, like I mentioned, are now at 4%, uh, which is up from, you know, the kind of the mid, mid to high threes, you know, 90 days ago. Sure. Um, you know, that what, what, what these large, uh, large long-term fixed rate loans, they have either defeasance or yield maintenance prepayment penalties with them, which basically, um, you know, is a formula that, uh, you know, kind of compares your rate of your notes, kind of what the current market conditions are. So if you're, if you're, you have a 4% loan and the current market rates are 5%, your prepay is going to go up because your note holder, when they sell it, it's going to have to replace your, um, your, your um, income stream that you're providing them with bonds at a lower interest rate. So your, your prepayment is going to have to go up. And the inverse is true. If the rates were higher than, and uh, then when you originated, your prepay would go down. Uh, and then also the other function is really time, you know, how much time is left until maturity. So that if you have seven years left, your prepay is going to be higher than if you only have four years left because there's less, less uh, time to kind of cover. So with these um, basically year to date, um, 2019s, like I said, we're in the end of August rather to record this. Um, the 10 year treasury has declined uh, over a full percentage point from January 1 to today as we're talking. So what has happened is these yield maintenance prepays have exploded. So we had a deal um, that we were going to sell kind of the uh, high 30 millions and we had a loan in the route about 23 million, give or take. We decided uh, we launched it around NMHC, so in January. So kind of as we're first a year uh, signing the listing agreement, we looked at the prepay. We're going to offer it both free and clear, meaning we'll just eat the prepay, you know, someone can put a new loan on it, as well as a loan assumption. So we get in, had a little bit of struggle with marketing a little bit, finally get a good offer, get it in escrow in May. And uh, when we decided to market it, our prepay was in the low 3 million JC, you know, three, two, something like that. And then when we, on um, 23 million, when we decided to sell it uh, as, as a all cash deal, we're ready to eat it up. The seller paid a high premium and, and our prepay is about 4.2 million. So it had risen, you know, nearly a million bucks, give or take. Uh, but the deal made economic sense. And then uh, we ended up crying uncle about July 4th when it went from about 4.2 billion to over 5 million. And then as I taught you today, looking at my loan, it'll take over 6 million to pay off this loan. So in the eight or so months that we've, we've kind of had it this year, my, my prepays went up, you know, nearly $3 million on a $23 million loan. And that's absolutely killing these deals. And we ended up having to, to back out of the deal. And this wasn't economically viable for us. So I think a lot of these people, I've heard a few, uh, a few other people kind of experience similar things because this is a, a real issue in the marketplace right now. Um, so make sure as you're going out, you listen to these deals, you understand what the yield maintenance prepayment penalties are going to be because a lot of these deals that might have traded now are not going to be able to trade because people can't make economic sense of paying an extra million or $2 million and, and basis on this deal that the seller is going to need to make it make economic sense for them to eat that prepay. 
It's such a, it's such a great point, Michael. I mean, I, I think if you, if you think about it, right, if, if you're talking four or five or six years ago, if you were buying deals, even back then, and you were putting, you know, 10, 12 year Fannie Mae debt on those things, if you're selling those deals in the last couple of years, you know, you probably are, are, are still paying a pretty decent prepay, but you're probably thinking, well, we're still really crushing it with the sale. But I think it's like you said, right now in the market that we're in, you know, you're not going to see that sort of appreciation um, uh, going forward. So if you're still putting 10 to 12 year debt, but you're thinking that you're going to sell the deal in three to five years, you're, you're simply not going to have the type of appreciation that's going to make it worthwhile for you to both sell and pay the prepayment penalty off and yeah. still make a buck. So I, I can't agree with you more that right now it's critical to really match the, the loan to your exit. Um, if you think that you're not going to be in a deal for 10, 12 years, this isn't the time to be putting Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac debt, in my opinion. Yeah, that's right. So just, uh, that's always been good advice. And, you know, we, we were trying to be smart a few years ago thinking that uh, we'd have a below market rate uh, loan that we can sell and someone can assume it. Uh, but, you know, I think it's a good uh, real life lesson that, you know, no matter what you think, uh, you're making certain investment decisions and, and, and lending decisions on the information you have today. Just know that the future is going to be different than today, better or worse, whatever, whatever it is. It is both better and worse right now than what it was three or four years ago when we did some of these loans. Um, so just the only thing that is certain is going to be different than in the future than what it is today. So just trying to match your, your, um, your debt and your maturity, maybe have a little bit extra runway, you know, don't, don't try to put, you know, one to two year bridge loans and don't give yourself any sort of margin for error, but we'll do that within reason. And right now, some of these floating rate loans, um, the caps on them, because uh, the lender will typically make you buy an interest rate cap. They're so affordable that you can hedge a lot of that risk for, for very little um, upfront money as well. Absolutely. JC, anything more to add? No, I think this was, was a great uh, and, and timely discussion, Michael. I mean, if, if uh, viewers out there want to get a hold of you, how can they best uh, reach out to you? Yeah, you know, really it's two, two ways. You know, Paul, Paulie and I host a, uh, the other podcast Paul does. I think Paul's always doing podcasts, but uh, he's uh, it's the old Capital Real Estate Investing Podcast. So uh, you can find us on iTunes or Stitcher or YouTube or, you know, probably anywhere you're hearing JC and I talk right now. Uh, you probably can find our podcast. So you go to our website, which is the uh, oldcapitalpodcast.com uh, website. You can find information there. Or the way uh, the way I, I, I my primary business, what I focus on, I spend spend the vast majority of my time doing, is uh, it's called SPI Advisory. That's where we go out, raise capital, put together these uh, larger scale multifamily syndications. So you can find information about me at uh, spiadvisory.com. That's uh, SPI like spy at advisory.com. Uh, if you go there, hit the contact us form fill that out. I'm always happy to have a 10 to 15 minute telephone call with people I uh, meet off a of podcast. So JC, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Well, if people want to reach out to us, they can go to multifamilypropertygroup.com. They can reach out to us uh, through email or contact us um, and we would be happy to help. We've, we've been in the business for a very long time uh, since 2006. So our company has been through the great recession. We came out fine on the other side and uh, we're all about helping people. Um, just like Michael Becker is. And we, we, uh, if, if anybody has any questions, want to reach out to us, they can feel free. Polly, what do you guys got going on on the old capital side besides uh, the old capital podcast? Well, coming up October 24th, 25th in Dallas, Texas, we're going to have the old capital multifamily conference for 2019. That is always a great event. Uh, Coach Lou Holtz will be our keynote speaker. You know, Michael Becker says, and I, I think it's great is that, uh, most people are not going to knock on your door and hand you uh, a $10 million transaction. You've got to come and meet the, the people. So networking is a, is a big deal. This is just not a regional conference. This is a national conference. 
You're going to have six, 700 people come into Dallas from all parts of the United States. They're going to want to meet you. You're going to want to meet them. Build some relationships. That's a good way to, to establish great uh, camaraderie with people and find ways that you are able to, to know, like, and trust to invest money with them. So go to oldcapitalpodcast.com, oldcapitalpodcast.com, and download RSVP to the conference October 24th, 25th. Anything more to add to that? Yeah, I know. I think uh, I, I've been telling Paul here lately. I think the the prices are, you know, a couple, a couple or a few hundred dollars for this ticket. I think the value you get is, you know, exponentially more than that. Because if you get out, you get to know, get network people, you meet somebody, um, get one relationship to being millions of dollars to you potentially, or hundreds of thousands of dollars to you potentially. Or if you get one piece of nugget, uh, you know, one of the, one of the panels I'm looking forward to is Paul's going to have a bunch of very seasoned experienced operators with, you know, 20 to 30 years plus of experience been through multiple cycles. They're going to get up there and kind of uh, tell you and give you some tips about, you know, how not to lose all your money uh, doing these deals because we're relatively long in, in the economic cycle right now being about a decade in economic cycle. And uh, you get to hear actually what these really seasoned, successful, very wealthy investors are doing right now to kind of position themselves for the, for the future uh, with some of the lessons and that they learned uh, the hard way back in the uh, the 80s and then then again in the, uh, the the most recent recession from 10 years ago so i think if you just learn one thing you, you just meet one person you know you should get you know 100x return on your uh, you know 300 dollars investment to come out to the conference do you, do you think we should raise our prices Mike? i think you should so all right <laughs> Get your tickets before I raise the prices. That's that's a good deal. Get your tickets before he raises his prices. Okay, well, Michael Becker, Paul Peebles, thanks a lot for joining. And uh, I think that's it. We are signing out. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye.